This is Brain Diet, episode number 110. I love so much focusing on the food we feed our body, but I love even more focusing on the stuff we feed our brain. My name is Taylor Ann Macy, and I am a certified life coach. Welcome to Brain Diet, where we feed your brain the best information. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. This episode, we are doing a Q&A, and I got your questions from two sources. The first being Instagram. I put out a question, what do you want to ask for the podcast if I do a Q&A? And then I also got questions from my email list. So if you are not on my email list and you want to be, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I just send out a weekly email every Thursday. A lot of times our inboxes can get filled with not so fun stuff. And so I wanted to add something that was brief that would uplift your day. So that's what I send out every week. And if you want to receive that, um, you can go to the link and sign up for that. It's also raining here. Can you hear this? It's magical. Like it just started as I'm here recording. So if you hear that, I feel like I can hear it on my gutter. That's what's happening. You'll get to sit here in the rain with me. So anyway, let's get into these questions. I am excited to answer them. And as always, if you have more questions, just send them to me via DM on Instagram because I feel like I I got a lot of questions and so I will do more of these in the future. And so I send them. If you have questions, let's go. First question, how can we help our children develop healthy relationships with food? This is a great question and I think I would answer this in two parts. The first part is to work on your relationship with food first. Before you try to, you know, manipulate your children's experience of food and change the way that they feel about it or even just cultivate something from scratch, I would make sure that how you feel about food is clean. And what I mean by that is if you have any negative emotion around food, if you have any heightened emotion around food, and this is where coaching can be extremely valuable, but understanding that your relationship with food comes first and however your children respond to food, it's ultimately up to them. And we can guide them and we can teach them and we can give them opportunities, but really just like they might have preferences for certain food that we have no control over, their relationship with food is going to be very much just based on them and how they experience the world and how they experience food, right? And so in order to give them something to go off of, I think cleaning up first how you feel about food, how you view food, because so much in what you do will be observed by your children. And even though we have moments where we're explicitly talking about food and all the things, they are watching in other ways. And so if we can work on our relationship with food to have a healthy approach to it, to where we aren't obsessive with it, we respect it, we don't overthink about it, um, we don't shame it, uh, all of that would have more of an effect than like sitting down and saying, hey kids, let's talk about food. (laughs) So that's the first part of the answer to this question is work on your relationship with food, is make sure that you have good feelings toward food and don't have drama in your mind that needs to be cleaned up. I would also say here that oftentimes, again, whether it's explicit or implied, we can teach that foods have labels like good 
bad, healthy, not healthy. And this comes back to our own labels, right? This is why it's important to do our own work first. But when we can teach that there's no such thing as a bad food, there's no such thing as a good food, like food is just ingredients, things that make up something that we ingest. And no matter what the food, it's only good or bad if we decide to give it that label. And so that's one thing that I think can be really helpful in at least the dialogue that we have with our children is in removing those labels. And even right now with my young kids, they're five and three, and we talk a lot about the actual physiological roles that food plays in our body. So we're always talking about like what certain foods do. So we talk about orange foods, for example, like carrots and certain vegetables, like, oh, when you eat orange foods, it helps your eyesight. Or when you eat green foods like spinach, it helps your body get better when you're feeling sick, right? We talk about what food actually does versus you need to eat more of this and make sure you finish finish this before you have that. Like, it's more just like, this is food and this is what it does. And then you get to decide, child, how it is that you want to think and feel about it, right? Because ultimately, it's, it is up to them. The second part to this question is to work on your relationship with yourself. So first to work on your relationship with food and then second to work on your relationship with yourself, meaning however your child grows up and whatever relationship they have with food, that you can have your own back regardless of that outcome. Like regardless of how your children are with food, when you can have your own back and be your own best cheerleader and friend as you are teaching a child, then whatever happens isn't as big of a deal if we are I think what happens is we can tend to try to fix in our children our own hang-ups and that's what can backfire and so if we can have a really solid relationship with ourselves with ourselves where our self-talk is kind and loving then we model that through dialogue and through behavior and then whatever happens with our kids it's like well you know what that's that's kind of up to them I'm going to do my best and I'm going to work on myself to appreciate food for what it is and whatever happens with them is really ultimately up to them second question wow that was a long-winded answer sorry guys (laughs) second question is what health advice that we hear all over is actually science-backed and in our best interest to follow now I feel like I might have an unconventional answer with this one because If I had an exact location of all of the quote unquote correct science, I would provide it, right? And at the end of the day, the bottom line is there is literature out there that you can find. You can go and actually read studies when it comes to nutrition. I find that that can be a little bit laborious, right? And if if it's provided like directly to you, sometimes it can be really interesting, but other times like diving into the literature can be a little bit tricky, but to each their own. So the way that I approach finding science-backed information, if I'm not going to go to the literature and actually read the studies on everything, um, I just find people that resonate with me and that resonate with what I believe. I find what makes the most sense and I find multiple takes on things. I try to get as much information as possible and then to just assess what sounds the best in my mind. Again, some people might think differently that it needs to be science back, and that's okay, right? I, I think there are resources for that. But the way that I like to think about it is like when you go to find a recipe, if you're like, okay, I want to find a recipe for a lasagna, right? You don't go and approach it and think I need it to be the perfect lasagna and I need everything to be exactly correct in this lasagna. Um, it's more of a, okay, I found this recipe. This looks good. This looks like what I think lasagna should be. And so I'm going to try it. 
right? We don't have a lot of drama about it. We just kind of trial and error and we learn things along the way and we continue to be better. When you're searching for a recipe, you're searching with curiosity. You're like, well, let's try this and let's try this and maybe this, right? I think finding the information that is best for you and that is most scientifically based, I think comes from continuing to seek information. Like when you are constantly looking for information, I think when you gather enough of it, you're able to make your own assessment. Because I even think about how I view health and how it has changed so much over the last decade. You know, I studied it in college, fitness and nutrition, and um, there's some stuff that is exactly the same. And there are other things that have changed slightly because I'm constantly learning and I'm constantly exposing myself to new information and different sources and just trying to extrapolate what makes the most sense to me, right? And I'm not a scientist, but I find that if I abide by the thought, I need the most science-backed information, that makes me feel a little bit unsure and it makes me feel a little bit overwhelmed, right? Because there's so many different places to look. So when it comes to finding the most sciencey information, I choose to believe that I have everything I need to know right now and I will continue learning more. When I can come from that space, it's like, all right, I do have some information. I'm just going to use it and keep learning and see what happens. The next question is how to stay on track when life gets busy. The first thing that I would ask is what does on track mean, right? If you think that there is some certain set of behaviors that mean that you're on track, that's what I would challenge because if you believe that there is an on track way to be, then if you're thinking, well, I'm off track, it certainly can make you feel emotionally not so great. And when you're not feeling emotionally great, it tends to prevent you from taking the action that you want to take. So if you are feeling like maybe you're not doing what you want to do in your health in your life, again, this comes back to your relationship with yourself. I would focus on all of the self-love and all of the self-support. Because if you're busy, then it's like, okay, yeah, I've got a lot going on. How can I support myself in this? Instead of telling yourself I'm off track, ask questions like, how can I love myself through this? Yeah, I'm being, I'm a little bit more busy in my life than maybe I normally am. How can I love myself even more then? How can I give myself even more support knowing that I've got more going on? And at any time in our life, we get to decide the precision with which we approach our health. And this precision doesn't mean like focus on it or not focus on it. It's much more like the volume of every area of our life. There are certain times in our life where we can have the volume up on very specific nutrition or very specific exercise. And other times we want that volume a little bit down because we've got the volume up in other areas. And so there are times in our life where we can still be aware of what's going on, but we don't need to be as precise. And what I mean by this is like, okay, let's say that you're really busy. So maybe it's a daily walk versus a really strategically programmed lifting regimen, right? Because if you can say, all right, the volume is going to be a little bit down on my exercise, but I still want to make sure I'm moving my body. So in order to do that, I'm going to take a walk every day instead of, you know, lifting every single day, really intense programming and just decide to love yourself through all of it. And then wait for the ebb and flow of your life to just keep going. And if you get less busy and you want to turn up the volume on certain things, great. Next question is what is the best way to judge progress? Now, again, I'm going to look at the word progress and say it depends on what progress means. But 
I'm going to assume if you are pursuing any type of body composition change that that's what we would be judging. Like what is happening? What type of change are we seeing here? So my answer to this question is in order to assess progress, we want as much data as possible. Body composition shift takes time and it's not something that can be drastically accomplished in 12 weeks. And so when we can allow for time and we can also get as much data as possible, then it's just like a science experiment. It's looking at the information and judging what's happening or what's not happening. The data that I like to, that I use with my clients when we are measuring body composition shift is I like to get a scale measurement three times a week. Because one time a week you have a dot, two times a week you have a line, three times a week is when you've kind of got some data. You've got a trend, right? You can see, okay, here's kind of what's happening this week, especially because this will help um, account for just daily fluctuations. So scale weight three times a week, measurements. Taking measurements um, on a weekly basis is also really important and a great way to judge what's happening in your body because a lot of times the scale won't change as much, but your measure, your measurements might. Uh, third is pictures. Pictures are awesome and some people love them. Some people hate them. I, again, think it's just another great data source to be able to measure and see more of the picture, more of what's going on in your body. Um, you can also judge what's happening based on your energy levels, based on your performance in the gym. Um, again, depending on what type of body composition you are pursuing, uh, getting as much data as possible can help you know what to do moving forward. Consistency in all of these data sources is important to be using the same scale, the same measuring tape, the same time of day that you are taking this data, uh, the same you know place and lighting that you're taking pictures. All of these things, the more consistency you can have, the easier you can extrapolate the data and understand, oh, okay, here's what's actually happening with my body right now. Next question, is it bad to feel happy about what the scale says? Short answer is no, it's not necessarily bad to feel happy about what the scale says, but just realizing that if we give credit to something for our happiness, we also give it credit for our unhappiness. I don't necessarily am saying we should feel totally neutral about the scale. I actually, I think that would be pretty awesome if we could feel that way and just see it as raw data. But I think that as we are putting in work for certain things, it's okay to have a little bit of happiness. I think it's a matter of cultivating more of like hills and valleys versus like massive summits and plummets, right? If we can just allow like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. Cool. I put in some work. I've yielded these results. There we are, right? Like we can have some emotional response to it, but not let it completely derail our day. Just the awareness piece is so important in regard to the scale when we can take ownership over our emotions. You feel happy, not because of what the scale says. And I think that's the bottom line is to be able to take ownership. The reason I feel happy is because of a thought that I'm having. It's because of what I'm making it mean that the scale went down. Like, oh, I did a good job or, oh, I'm more worthy, right? If you have these thoughts about the data that make you feel happy, when you can take ownership over that and say, okay, it's not the scale, it's me. Even if you do feel a little bit happy, it still puts the empowerment in your court instead of giving the empowerment to the scale. That number is neutral. And so be onto yourself if you are chasing happiness through that number. If that's how you are feeling about the scale, then there's got to be some internal work before we try to do the external work. I also think when it comes to the scale, if we are 
giving credit to it for all of our emotions, it prevents us from seeing the whole picture and taking into consideration the rest of the data, right? Because we have fluctuations in our weight all the time. Our bodies are like bank accounts and we spend money sometimes every day, right? With our bank accounts. And so when you're putting money in and taking money out, the same goes for our bodies. And understanding that can be really important when you're looking at the scale to say, okay, there could be other factors here versus like, oh, I've gained fat, I've failed, right? It's not really fair to jump to such a quick conclusion like that because that's not necessarily true. We don't really know that. We need to have more data to really assess why the scale says what it does. Next question. I have put on six pounds gradually over four years. I hate diets. Where do I start? First things first, six pounds could potentially be a daily fluctuation. So I would be curious just to have the data. Like, how do you know that you've gained six pounds? Do you Have you been weighing yourself every day or consistently? And has it been hovering more so over a higher number or a lesser number? Um, so that would be something that I would encourage you to do that if to just get more data like and if you have we'll talk about that but when we are looking at something like six pounds that could potentially be a fluctuation but let's talk about it let's say that we have put on six pounds of fat over the last four years and let's say that we hate diets the first thing is i want this question to be answered for yourself whether this is the person that asked it or anyone else that relates to this if we have put on six pounds over the last six years what would you say the reason is. I want to encourage you here, if you have this, if you're answering this question for yourself, don't let yourself be confused and don't let yourself try to blame things. We tend to do this. We allow ourselves to be confused. I don't know why it just happened or so much is happening in my life, right? We tend to put blame or be confused about what the answer is to this question to avoid being honest and then subsequently shaming ourselves. What happens is if we were to say, I've gained six pounds of fat because I've been eating every evening when I'm not hungry, right? Now that in and of itself isn't a problem. It's not something to be ashamed of, but then what happens is we are so irritated with ourselves that we start to shame ourselves when we are honest about the reason why. So if you can be honest and give yourself permission to not have any judgment about it, like, okay, let's say that you have, what's the reason why without any judgment? That would be the first place to start is once you can be honest, it gives you your starting point to then know, oh, okay, I have my starting point. Now I know where to go, maybe what to change. What's the first thing that I need to start paying attention to? The second piece to this question, I hate diets. The first thing that I would want to ask you is how do you define diet? If it's the diet culture, then I agree. Diet culture being like, eat as little as possible. It's most important just to be thin. You should always be dieting, right? Like that I completely disagree with. But when it comes to dieting, I mean, it is literally just what we eat. And I think sometimes we equate it to trying to lose weight. Dieting equates to trying to lose weight. So if that's kind of where you're at, if it's a diet culture, then yes, let's not go by diet culture. But if it's just weight loss, if, if you are thinking about weight loss, all it is is science. You don't want to hate science, right? <laughs> the science is that if you have extra fat, we need to put you into a caloric deficit to eat less than your body needs to function every single day so that your body goes internally to use those fat stores for energy, 
right? That's just science. And this is where getting a coach could be really helpful in making things a little bit clearer because you want to make sure that you're getting reliable nutrition and not jumping into like yo-yo diets, crash diets, um, anything that isn't like really truly starving yourself. We don't, we don't want any of that. So having reliable nutrition can be really helpful. And then also having someone to help you clean up your thoughts around it. Like I hate diets. Well, let's talk about why. Like, what is it that you think about dieting or losing weight that feels so hateful? Because when you can clean that up, it becomes easier to approach your body like a science experiment and be like, okay, just like any other science experiment, I just know if I manipulate the calories in this way, if I manipulate the macros in this way, then this is what will happen. And if I do it the other way, then this is what will happen, right? It becomes just data. It becomes just math and much more simple. Uh, That being said, I would also start... I have a a free download that I'll also put the link in the show notes to it. It's called the five tip diet that has nothing to do with food. Food has a huge influence on our body and its weight, but our behaviors can have an influence on our body's ability to lose weight. And what I mean by this is when we can get a much broader picture of health than just eat this, not that, we're able to create actual health and then weight loss if we want. Um, So my five tips that have nothing to do with food are the first to sleep. When your body is sleeping regularly at the same time, every single night, every, every day of the week, it becomes more able and more efficient in losing weight. The second thing is water. Water aids in satiety, meaning we won't be so hungry if we're drinking water and it also aids in digestion. Um, General recommendation is half your body weight in ounces plus 15 ounces if you've worked out. The third tip is steps, right? And there is not a magical number. Like the 10,000 steps is what I recommend, but it's an arbitrary number just with the intention of getting you moving and using your body because bodies are meant to walk. And if you can move your body, again, it aids in digestion. It aids in its ability to lose weight, gain weight, whatever it is that you want to do. It helps in the process. Tip number four is to uh, eat slowly and stop eating when you're full. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. And then the last one is just to plan your food 24 hours in advance. You don't even have to change what it is you're eating. But when you can plan your food in advance, it allows for those emotional pieces to food to obviously come up for you to pay attention to. So anyway, that's just a crash course on those five tips that I recommend to everybody, even if they're not trying to lose weight at all. I think that those things make you feel physically so much better. And the way that I approach it is we're never starting with our health. We have always had a body that's been doing things since we were born. And so instead of thinking of starting, I look at those five tips and it's like, what can I focus on this week? If, if there's something where I'm like, man, I'm just not quite as dialed in as maybe I wanted to be, I look at this list and I'm like, what can I prioritize for this week? Maybe it will be water. Every day, I'm going to make sure that I get enough water. Or maybe it will be a consistent bedtime. Uh, those types of things can really have a major effect on your body. And so I recommend starting there before even paying attention to the food piece and what it is that you're eating. Um, it makes it easy and simple and It's like, I can do that. I can drink my water today. I can go to bed on time. I can take a walk, right? So much easier. Next question. After I eat, I notice the thought, if I don't go for a walk, I'm going to store this as fat. First of all, the science of fat storage, it wouldn't be likely that in a moment eating that it would just immediately go into fat storage. There's the science of how many calories that you have to consume over your maintenance level that will then go into fat stores. And so it's something that accumulates 
over a week, over a month. Um, it's not necessarily in a moment. And so when you're eating, I mean, I don't know that that's really true fully anyway. Like if I don't go for a walk, I'm going to store this as fat. So the science of it is probably like, well, that's probably not true. However, if this is the thought that's running in your mind, let's go to the worst case scenario. So what if you do store this bite as fat? What would you make that mean about yourself if you took a bite and it was stored as fat? Again, just data of what's happening in your body. What would you make that mean? The fear that comes from this fat storage is not from the fat storage. It's of this thought of this painful thought that you would have about the fat storage that would be scary to you. At the end of the day, your body is just science. And whether there's weight gain, weight loss, fat gain, fat loss, muscle gain, whatever it is, it's just the bank account. It's just a body. It's just data. And so that's where there's a large mental piece in addressing that and being like, okay, well, so what if I do? Because therein lies your opportunity to develop your relationship with yourself. Because if someone you loved gained fat from taking a bite, you wouldn't shame them. You wouldn't tell them something awful the way that you would yourself. You'd be like, okay, so what? I still love you. Nothing has gone wrong because this has happened. Now what do you want to do, right? All right, next question. How can I stick to a protocol once and for all? So here is where, again, we have to ask ourselves some honest questions. Ask yourself honestly why you're not sticking to the protocol that you have set for yourself. I've heard this analogy before where it's like when someone's sitting in a chair and it's like them telling me, I just can't stand up out of this chair. I just don't know how to stand up. I don't know why I'm not doing it. It's like, well, just stand up. Like you either do it or you don't. But when you indulge in this confusion about why you're not, then you miss the opportunity to really see what's going on. So where I would start, first of all, make sure that your protocol is enough calories. You want to make sure that your body is cared for. Even if you're losing weight, we want to make sure that it's enough to where you're not eating less than you should. So making sure that you have enough calories is important. The second thing is to get good at feeling urges. What's happening is you have an urge to eat something and then you eat it if it's off your protocol. You give in to the urge. And so practicing your ability to feel urges can help you stick to your protocol. But again, it requires that honesty with yourself. And instead of being confused, like, I just don't know why not. It's like, well, there's something that I don't want to feel. And because I don't want to feel it, I'm going to food. That's the real reason why I'm not sticking to it. And if that's the case, then how can I practice feeling urges? I'm going to be okay if I feel this urge. How can I love myself through this urge? How can I support myself when I'm feeling this uncomfortable emotion that I don't love? And this goes beyond just the feeling of an urge. Sometimes we feel emotions like discomfort or restlessness that we are so unfamiliar with and we don't want to feel that we go to food. We don't stick to what it is we plan for ourselves. And so being able to do that internal work to say, I'm feeling restless. This is what it feels like in my body and it's harmless. I can just sit with this. This can be my friend, my sidekick for a while, and I don't have to react to it. I don't have to solve for it. It can just be here and exist in my body. The next question is, I'm a baker, but also want health, vitality, and fitness. I feel like I can't have it all. Why are you telling yourself you can't have it all? (laughs) I'm guessing, I'm again, trying to fill in some blanks here, but if you believe that you're a baker and you can't have health, vitality, and fitness, if you believe that those two can't coexist, I'm going to take a shot in the dark and guess that you have some version of a thought like baked goods are bad for your health or something like that. Like they can't coexist because one works against the other. This isn't a fact. 
baked goods are bad for your health is just a sentence that some of our brains make up that they've picked up somewhere along the way, but that isn't necessarily true. Like I'm unaware of any law that says you can't be a baker and have health, vitality, and fitness. If you were to try and challenge this belief, do you think there are bakers out there that can live healthy and fit lives? Is that possible? Like, okay, I'm not, I'm not like a, a baker baker. I'm not a professional, but I love to bake, right? I bake probably four to five times a week. It's something that's so fun. I do it with my kids. It's always fun to experiment. Again, just like the science question earlier, I'm always looking at new recipes, like finding out how to do things through trial and error. And I would say I have great health and vitality and fitness. So if that's something that you're concerned with, I would challenge this belief that you think they can't coexist. What if it's possible that they can? I bet you could find evidence that that's true. Okay, last question. Here we are. Every day, I tell myself I will not numb myself with food in the evening. And then every evening, I buffer with food. How can I stop? I Looking at this idea of every day, like I do this every single day, that sounds pretty absolute. Like that's kind of like all or nothing, like every single day without fail, all really black and white. And I would start by challenging that. Is that really true that it's every single day? Because I would want to make some mental space for some flexibility there. Because that's the first thing is you've got this block like every day I do. It's so black and white. But if we were to say, is that 100% true? Maybe not. Like maybe sometimes I do. Maybe most days I do, but sometimes I don't. And looking at however many times you numb yourself in the evening with food, what are you making that mean about you? It doesn't make you a bad person if you are numbing your emotions in the evening. All it means is that there's just some unfelt emotions that need some extra love. So instead of being so absolute with things, look for the alternative. Like, is it really true that I do this every single day? Is it possible that I don't? And how can I have more compassion for myself in all of this? The second thing when it comes to like evening eating is the first, it's so important that you make sure you're getting enough food in a day. If you make sure that your body is loved and taken care of in the day with how you are feeding it, then in the evening, we can move on to your brain. It's like, okay, I know today I ate what my body needed. I really took care of it today. And so if I'm feeling the need to eat something, it's not because my body actually needs more food. It's because my brain is having a freak out over some emotion that it doesn't want to feel, or there's something that it's wanting to avoid desperately. And so make sure you have enough and then move on to what it is that you're avoiding. Bring to light what you're thinking in the evening that leads you to eat. And even asking yourself, if I didn't eat, if I sat here, instead of going to the food in the evening, what emotions would I feel like? What would come up for me? Holding space for that and opening up that possibility, like what would happen if I didn't do this in the evening and kind of dropping into it, being like, let's see if I can tonight. Let's just try. Let's try to not numb myself this evening and let's just see what comes up. And I can tomorrow if I want, or I even can tonight, but let's just, let's just experiment. Let's see what happens if I try to see what comes up for me when I don't numb myself in this way. When you can start to pay attention to those thoughts, you create the opportunity to work on that relationship with yourself. When you shift your dialogue each day from being so mean to yourself to being your own best cheerleader and your best friend if you are so endlessly and unconditionally kind with yourself throughout the day, then by the time the evening rolls around and you have those urges and you have those emotions come up that you don't want to feel, when you have a solid relationship with yourself, you're able to say, hey, 
let's, what's going on? Let's pay attention. How can we love ourselves more? How can we support ourselves more in the midst of this? Instead of being like, yeah, you do this every day. Like, yeah, of course you do. Cause you're no good. Right. Okay. Everybody, that is all of the questions that I am answering today in today's episode. If you have more questions, send them to me on Instagram. We can do more episodes like this. This is fun to hear where you guys are at. Um, otherwise, that's all I have. So thank you so much for listening to this episode and I will see you next week. Hey, do you have a coach guiding you through your weight journey? If not, I would be so thrilled to be yours. I want to invite you to come work with me in my private one-on-one program where I create an individualized plan for you based on your body in order to create the results that you want. I teach you how to not even want the foods that are sabotaging your physical goals, all while learning how to be more confident, how to feel better, and how to up-level your life. We work to create the body that you want and to feel good doing it. To sign up for a free mini session with me, check out the link in the show notes. I'll see you soon.